Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news in wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. International Wine Fair Update. Events scheduled for early 2021 face cancellations, postponements, or will seek virtual platforms in light of renewed restrictions for large gatherings. International Wine and Spirits Competition reveals 2020 winners for wine and spirits. James Symington, a leading figure in the port wine world, dies. Nouveau moves beyond Beaujolais to England, where wine estates get the green light to release English Nouveau wines. And as ever, our wine of the week. So let's start with our week in wine. Uh, we're recording on Sunday evening. I just spent the day teaching in South San Francisco. WSET Level 3, final day for the students tasting Argentinian and South African wine, as well as sparkling wine and fortified wine. And this is actually, I think, the only third time I've taught this year. And so it's quite weird being in a classroom setting with masks, but getting to um, taste some really fun wines. Uh, But what about your week in wine, Katie? Yeah, so how many students did you have in the class today, Matthew? So eight students in the classroom and then two on Zoom who are kind of viewing in, uh, maybe a little too nervous to actually uh, meet in public. But it was very um, spacious. So there's lots of gaps between um, each student and me. And so everything seemed very safe and very secure. Oh, good. But always nice to have the option for those students who'd rather stay home. Right. So, yeah, everything, the way we're tasting is different and everyone has different kind of ways to uh, deal with it. But what about you, Katie? How was your week in wine? Well, we wrapped up the California Wine Institute Behind the Wines series. Um, So this series now, I think, is longer than most television shows. Uh, We've had over 30 episodes, and this uh, sort of finale episode was uh, an extended version, an hour and 30 minutes, uh, featured nine winemakers uh, over the course of five segments. And... It was really fun. You know, it just brought together uh, some of the past guests from the series uh, with some new faces. Uh, so we had Kathy Corson of Corson Winery, Jason Haas of Tapas Creek, Jasmine Hirsch of Hirsch Vineyards, and then John Charles Boisset did a farewell toast. Uh, so really fun. And um, it was sort of a different format and not one you see all the time uh, because these were, you know, winemakers who were tasting each other's wines and sort of commenting on each other's wines. And it was really great to see sort of the camaraderie and how excited they all were because, you know, it's been a really tough year and they haven't really had the option or the opportunity uh, to get together and just taste each other's wines. So it was a lot of fun. One thing I've really loved about this series is how um, it's really represented the diversity and the range of California wine from Mendocino all the way down to uh, Santa Barbara County and across the Sierra foothills. And this kind of summarized all of that, these different producers from different regions making different styles of wine, but having a real um, connection with each other. And yes, it is difficult to meet in person right now when California is a large region. And so I think those winemakers really appreciated that opportunity to converse in a public platform just as they would in a tasting but i do have to say i watched this uh, 90 minute episode plus and john charles Boisset is a character isn't he katie he um, appeared right at the end and i just don't know how to describe it my internet actually collapsed when after about five minutes of jean charles and it's partly because i got a phone call and my computer didn't know how to deal with it 
I literally do not know how to describe him. I think as to, we were talking to Elaine after the webinar, and it's a very and she described him as a very serious individual, very savvy, very commercially savvy, but completely over the top. And I think that was a pretty good way of summing him up. He's very, very successful, but he really is his own thing, isn't he? That he is, and I think that was part of the reason we chose him to kind of wrap up the series. Uh, he has a incredible enthusiasm and passion for wine, for the people, for, you know, the grapes, for everything involved. So yes, he is a little OTT, as they say, but I think um, it was a great way to wrap it up. And I think everyone enjoyed it. It's um, something, you know, in the wine world, we often get caught up in the brands and, and selling the wines. But at the end of the day, you know, it really is all about the people. And so I think that's kind of what this uh, sort of finale episode really brought home. While we were all hopeful that 2021 would bring a new day for wine trade events and that some may be able to proceed in person, the recent spike in cases of COVID-19 around the world and lockdowns being reintroduced in various markets may cause event organizers to rethink their 2021 plans. The Wine to Wine Business Forum, an annual conference, usually held in Verona, is going online for its seventh edition. A product of VinItaly International and under the management of Stevie Kim, who is also managing director of VinItaly, this forum focuses on presenting practical solutions to issues facing the global wine industry. The virtual edition takes place today and tomorrow, featuring 50 sessions and more than 70 speakers meeting online from around the world. Meant to be more interactive than your typical Zoom webinar, the forum will be presented via SwapCard, an alternative platform that, according to Kim, works more like a social media platform and gives participants the tools to get in touch with speakers and other participants and even set up appointments. Well, swap card sounds interesting. I like the interactive element, so something worth investigating, I think. In um, related news, VinExpo New York, which was originally scheduled to take place in Manhattan in February, has been cancelled and is now planning for the 2022 edition. The annual event attracts attendees from across North America and the globe. And, quote, in the light of the pandemic situation and its current spread, they have made the decision to cancel. In recent months, VinExpo New York has embraced the virtual channel to reach their audiences, providing free monthly webinars which will no doubt continue through 2021. Wine Paris and VinExpo Paris has been postponed from February to June 2021, again due to the circumstances surrounding the pandemic. The new dates are the 14th to 16th of June to take place at Paris Expo Port de Versailles. The 2020 event that took place this past February, which seems a very, very long time ago, and that was the first event held under the new alliance of Wine Paris and the Nexo Paris, attracted 2,800 exhibitors and over 2,900 trade visitors, with 126 countries represented. It's going to be interesting to see what those stats look like for the 2021 edition. Far fewer numbers, one imagines. Yes, well, we'll have to see. Um, another big question on everyone's mind is the fate of Provine. Still scheduled to be held March 19th to the 23rd in Dusseldorf, organizers have developed a new event concept for this edition, uh, complete with new hygiene standards that they've developed in close consultation with authorities. 
And the event will run for five days versus the usual three, with a maximum number of visitors set at 10,000 visitors per trade fair day. So tickets will only be offered online as one-day tickets. Staffing for exhibitor booths will also be limited. Given more recent developments with the spike in COVID cases across Europe, it will be interesting to see if they, in fact, can go ahead and what sort of limitations some countries will have in attending given ever-changing travel restrictions. Uh, for example, currently, you know, U.S. cannot travel to the EU and the organizers have stated that, you know, they will work with authorities to, to make exceptions. But with these recent spikes, who knows if that will that will happen. Similarly, the question remains uh, for Vanitaly. Uh, after postponing their 2020 event earlier this year due to coronavirus, uh, Vanitaly also remains scheduled to proceed with its 54th edition in Verona, April 18th to the 21st. So it's a very fluid situation and organising these events must be extremely difficult, not knowing if they're going to go ahead or not. Uh, This week has seen very positive news in terms of vaccines and even talk of them being rolled out in December. So before the end of the year and getting them to people is going to be difficult. So whether these events can go ahead or whether it's sensible to wait till 2022, it's it's very difficult for the wine industry to uh, cope with these situations. But I think the um, one other important point is this virtual element, which I think should be um, a key part of these events, however they proceed, just to connecting people from around the world. And so it's imperative for exhibitors to maximise business and networking opportunities. So even if you can't attend, you're still uh, presenting your product. And so these different platforms, these different tailored virtual booths could be an option during the pandemic, but also after the pandemic. So it's interesting to see how these events um, progress. Yes, and for these uh, forthcoming trade fairs that we're looking at in early 2021 and measuring whether they will go forward as planned or not, uh, to prepare, you know, many producers and regional entities uh, will look at multi-city trade tours as an alternative, where tastings and meetings can be held in much smaller settings with more limited guests so that social distancing and the like would be easy to maintain. And from my perspective, working in wine PR, um, more and more we are noticing that the tailored approach is the most effective in order to garner meaningful editorial and maintain relationships with journalists. So perhaps the same concept will translate to the global sales and business of wine as well. You know, just having these more one-on-one opportunities, uh, you might sell more wine in the end. Right, because... Although I miss traveling for sure, and I really want to go back to Europe and I want to see my family and I want to go to wineries and taste their wine, I don't actually miss events that much. Just being in a crowded environment, pushing to taste wine, I never felt it very satisfactory. And now we're in a situation where you can actually be at home or your office or in that less crowded environment, just tasting wines in a more personalized way. So I actually like the idea of um, being able to taste wine and talk with producers, even if it's a virtual relationship, it can still be um, quite intimate and informative. Well, and I'm a little bit more social than you, Matthew, but I find the similarly, you know, with these large trade fairs, it's really an opportunity to collect a bunch of business cards. And then really the meaningful transactions happen after the fact uh, with the follow-up and the more one-on-one communications. I think that's a really good point. 
maybe that the big challenge with the absence of these events is to replicate that. How do you communicate? How do you network? How do you make these contacts? Because sharing the information is definitely still possible and maybe even more possible than it was before. But how do you make the initial connection? But I've just recently been interviewing a importer of Greek wine and did a really fantastic five series episode podcast for my own podcast, Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. And on Tuesday, I'm going to interview an English winemaker. And so these connections are definitely still possible to be made. Last week on the 18th of November, the International Wine and Spirit Competition announced the 2020 winners via an online ceremony for the first time in its 51-year history. So 20 trophies were distributed to producers, distillers, suppliers, retailers, and leading figures across the wine and spirit sectors. And these included the outstanding wine producer. Which went to Morris Wines in Rutherglen, Australia. Outstanding spirits producer. Bellany and Bordillon, successor of Martinique. That sounds pretty sexy, doesn't it? I'm already intrigued by that. I want to try one of those runs. I haven't yet. Yes, let's get on it. And then Spirits Communicator, sponsored by Chivas Brothers. That went to Becky Paskin. And then Wine Communicator, sponsored by Vinitaly. Which went to our friend and collaborator, Elaine Chacon-Brown. During the pandemic, Elaine has been pivotal in keeping the channels of wine education and communication open through weekly online interviews, debates, seminars, and tastings, including Behind the Wines, which we've talked about a lot in our Weeks in Wine on the pod. Uh, So we were quite chuffed that she got this uh, award and our huge congrats to her and to all of the other award winners. Another change to this year's formats were the awards themselves. Instead of distributing physical trophies, the IWSC donated the equivalent money to help support the Drinks Trust and individuals in the wine and spirits sector most affected by the impact of COVID-19. Because I think apart from travel, the hospitality industry is one that has been most affected and most damaged by um, this virus during this year with so many businesses either temporarily or permanently closed. Yes, indeed. And a video recording of the ceremony is available online. So we'll go ahead and link that to the episode description. So I hope that all you listeners will check it out. The entry process for the IWSE 2021 competition opens tomorrow, November 24th. Leading the charge in the New English Nouveau initiative are producers 16 Bridges Vineyard in Herefordshire and Hush Heath Estate in Kent. Made using carbonic maceration, these are fruit-forward, youthful wines and are sold shortly after fermentation, a style that Beaujolais has made famous in past years under the Beaujolais Nouveau. In Beaujolais, of course, the grape is Gamay, but here, 16 Bridges has opted for Pinot Noir Precoce, a mutation that ripens two to three weeks earlier than standard Pinot Noir. And in line with Beaujolais Nouveau, the wines released the third Thursday of November and will be available at UK supermarket Waitrose. Hush Heath Estate was one step ahead, releasing their Balfour Nouveau on Wednesday the 18th. Made from a parcel of a Burgundian clone of Pinot Noir, the wine was briefly aged in New French and American oak barrels and are available for £20 per bottle. So what I found interesting about this article was that for 16 Ridges Vineyard, uh, who also supplies Waitrose with sparkling wine, 
uh, it was the supermarket that challenged the winery to create uh, a limited edition exclusive uh, to sort of energize English red wine sales. However, for Hush Heath, it seems more of a response to the vintage. So potential alcohol levels reached record highs this year in England, uh, unseasonably warm weather in late summer and early autumn, so sugar levels were on the rise. And the Pinot Noir was harvested early, uh, but still at 12% natural alcohol. So the winemaker, quote, made the decision there and then to set it aside and make something really special and fun. So my question is, is will we be seeing more English producers play with Nouveau? Will this become a real trend? So it's an interesting trend in England about still wine. So sparkling wine has been really successful. It's exported around the world, but the still wine is very hard to get out of the country. And I think, still think there's building um, a, a market and an audience at home rather than abroad for their still wine. Um, what I've heard is that the white wine especially is getting better and the red wine is actually pretty decent. And so we'll see um, how those wines begin to develop. This really youthful style is also quite popular internationally here in California, in Australia as well, producing wines which are young and designed to be drunk immediately. And so maybe this will uh, fit in with um, international trends. And also Pinot Noir Precoce is a great variety or variation of Pinot Noir, which could be quite successful in England because it is earlier ripening. So there seems some kind of consistent trends with these styles of wine, but we'd have to try them to know how uh, successful and consistent they actually are. James Symington, third generation port producer and leading figure in Portugal's Douro Valley, died last week at the age of 86. Born in 1934 in Porto, Symington moved to Canada for two years during World War II, returning to Portugal in 1943. In 1960, he joined the family firm working as a taster and blender, and was responsible for Dow's and Wars 1966 and 1970, two top port vintages of the 20th century, as well as the 1970 vintage port at Graham's. The Symington family acquired Graham's that same year. In 1973, he switched to sales and distribution, looking to open up markets for the business. Eventually, he established the distribution firm Premium Port Wine in San Francisco in 1985. James' son, Robert, is currently CEO of Symington Family Estates, and one of his daughters, Claire, works in the family business from her base in the UK. So, Katie, sad news although he was 86, so he's lived a, a long, venerable life. And just going through that biography, it just emphasises how international port is. Um, brief childhood in Canada, connections in the US, connections in the UK, establishing different brands, buying different brands. I actually taught one of the Simiton family members a few years ago, um, a Portuguese young gentleman with a very English accent. And it just emphasised just how global the port industry is. So um, I was tasting port today, teaching about port. And actually, um, Graham's is one of the producers we tried, both the 10-year-old Tawny and the late bottle of vintages from 2014. And the quality is just consistently very good. And so although, so though we mourn his passing, we also celebrate his life. We do indeed. I mean, he really was... Uh instrumental in sort of the revival of the post-war port industry. So, so port maybe wouldn't be what it is today without people like him. 
And now for our wine of the week, which is Matthew. Well, usually I introduce the wine of the week and make Katie pronounce it. She has given me that task this time. And I have absolutely no idea because it's from the Czech Republic. I've only tried wine from the Czech Republic once before. And this is my second example. So my pronunciation and my knowledge of the regions is minimal. But it's from 2017. I can tell you that much. It may be from Sauvignon Blanc, but there may be some other Sauvignon varieties in there. We're not quite sure. And so the producer is Vinasti Janidi Sud. So Janidi Sud is the actual name of the winery. Vinasti means um, producer or winery or Weingut in German. And so there's a lot to decipher this wine, isn't there, Katie? That's right. This is actually the first Czech wine I've tried. So, but first, Maddie, before we dive into it, um, how did we get this bottle? Um, I believe it had to do with your Austrian tasting that you did the other week. That's right. So we reported on the Austrian skin contact tasting, which is also on my blog, where I got four Austrian wines, which had been um, made with some skin contact. And so I, it was organized by the Wines of Austria. When I contacted the uh, wine shop in New York, they said, oh, do you want these two Czech wines just to add on to your order? So, so to make it a six pack. And I thought, sure, why not? Because how often do you get to taste Czech wine? May as well just add it onto the order. And it's actually a hard to get producer, limited production and limited import into the US. So I'm really glad that I got these wines. And the other one is a Pinot Gris, which I haven't tried yet. And this one is a, it's a Sauvignon Blanc based wine with a little bit of skin contact. Yes, yeah, so in addition to the Czech Republic, uh, the distributor, uh, Zev Rovin Selections, carries wines from countries including Austria, Croatia, Greece, Hungary, Japan, Slovakia, Slovenia, as well as the more usual suspects, France, Germany, Italy, South Africa, and the U.S. So in doing my research on this wine, I must say I got a bit distracted perusing the portfolio. Kudos to these guys for bringing together some pretty remarkable producers all under one umbrella. So the producer, Jedini Sud, uh, are located in the region of Moravia, uh, to the southwest of the country, uh, close to the borders with Slovakia and Austria. They produce about uh, 1,500 bottles per year, and it's a father-son operation. They work their 0.66 hectare vineyard, so about 1.6 acres, organically, and don't do any fining or filtration with their wines. The grape for this specific cuvee is Sauvignon, but they also make Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, Riesling, Tramin Servigny. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly. I, I'm, I'm very familiar with that grape variety. I can tell you all about it if you dare to ask. You'll have to make a separate podcast about that one, Matthew. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay. So interestingly, they differentiate Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc. So I'm just wondering if I'm reading too much into that or if that was a simple leaving off of the Blanc on one of the cuvées. Well, this wine is called SG. So I wonder if there's Sauvignon Gris in it as well. So I'd like to know a little bit more about the, the cepage of this of this wine. But it's, it is a Sauvignon-based wine. Um, wide, whether the Sauvignon Blanc on its own or a little other Sauvignon Gris or even Sauvignon Vert, I'm not sure. Well, and as you said, for this wine, there's a little bit of skin maceration, which gives it that lovely, rich texture on the palate. And then fermentation occurs in neutral oak, as well as a bit of aging. 12.5% alcohol, and it retails at $30 a bottle. Which I think is actually pretty good value for a wine of this quality. So the Czech wines I had previously tried 
included Gewurztraminer, which may be the same as Tramine Cerveni, who knows, and Pinot Gris were like 60 or $70, which is incredibly expensive for wines from an obscure uh, up-and-coming wine region. So I think $30 or a little bit less is much better value. And I thought this wine was absolutely fantastic. Well, that's a bargain for $30 then. So maybe a wine to check out. Well, I look forward to tasting the Pinot Gris next, which we still have a bottle of, to see if the producer's consistency really matches up to the quality of this wine. Cheers to that. So thank you for listening. We'll be back in your feed next week with another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we hope that you'll please rate and review us. Uh, We really appreciate your feedback. Uh, So wherever you get your podcasts, um, just click those stars, write your comments. And, you know, we'd like to hear from you anyway. So write us an email, flick us a note on Instagram. Uh, We're here to make sure that our listeners are getting what they want. And if you have any further information on Czech wine, please let us know. Cheerio. Cheerio.